0: Welcome to Future Forecast, a podcast about technology, leadership and sustainability with leaders and entrepreneurs from around the world. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness, and today we'll be talking about managing risk and becoming a world champion. We are talking to Alpine legend Axel Lund Svindal. Axel has won two Olympic gold medals, five World Cup gold medals and 36 World Cup individual runs. He was the first Norwegian to win four World Cups in a row. He's been awarded Aftenposten's Gold Medal, the Sports Journalist Statute, and the People's Sports Award. But he's also made a fortune by investing in tech, banking, and real estate. He's launched a clothing brand, the app spawned, and will soon be premiering in a new book and documentary. Thank you so much for joining us, Axel. How are you today?
1: Thank you very much. That was um, quite an introduction. Um, <laughs> well you earned it. Well, I mean, some of it I did probably because they're like pure stats, like, you know, how much did they win and what uh, color were those medals (laughs) Uh, some of the other stuff is more um, you know not as easy to measure as uh, sports and um, things that are not as easy to measure uh, means um, I'll take those as a compliment the other ones are facts and the ones that are you know not as easy to measure they're more compliments. So thank you for the compliments.
0: You're very humble and uh, we'll get back to that. Uh, Oxel, I think it's fair to say that you're one of Norway's best sportsmen of all time. I suspect most people can't even imagine what it takes physically and mentally to get to where you were before you decided to retire your professional alpine skiing career a few months ago. Mm -hmm. You've been competing in conquering one of the most dangerous sports and you have felt the backside of the medal as you've endured several serious injuries, a list too long for this podcast. As I was reading about everything that you've gone through throughout your career, it occurred to me through countless interviews with you how you've been able to maintain an almost superhuman positive outlook and continuous thrive to come back, to compete. This podcast is about leadership in the age of the fourth industrial revolution, which I know you're also involved in through your many tech endeavors, and I want to know, have you reflected on how your own mindset translates into leadership skills, and if possible, How do you teach or communicate your way of thinking and acting to succeeding as a leader today?
1: Maybe what are my, or what do I think my assets or qualities are that made me a good uh, athlete, made me a successful athlete? Basically, uh, I think it comes down to that I'm very analytical. So I uh, like to look at a situation and kind of break it in part into what are the key elements here what do I really need to focus on to accomplish my goals in this field or if it's going down a downhill course or if it's preparing for a big championship or being an athlete in general. And I have a fairly good grit, maybe. That's a good—that's an awesome quality no matter what you're going to do in life. And I think it doesn't help to have a good uh, way of analyzing it if you don't have the grit to follow through. And I also... I mean, I like uh, accomplishing things with other people. Even if you win a Olympic gold medal, you're the one, you know, on the top of the podium. And But it's really a whole team effort. And really, you know, knowing that, both knowing yourself that you perform the best if you're a part of a group of people that, uh, you know, encourage each other and really work towards the same goals. Both knowing that about yourself, but also being able to translate that in a way so even the guys that don't get the uh, spotlight when you do win, that you're able to try to reflect some of that uh, spotlight or that light that you get on yourself when you win uh, onto the guys that really made an effort to make it work. Uh, but also on another side, when things don't go as well, make sure everyone knows that we're in this together and it's up to us to turn this around so we can be more successful. So those are three things that I really valued in my career. I think that have been uh, important to my success and I also know that uh, the feedback that I get from my teammates or my team colleagues colleagues. colleagues that that it's been an awesome team to be a part of. I think also in the facts we can see that because after coaching on uh, the Norwegian downhill team, very often uh, those coaches get approached by other teams that try to get recruited because uh, they see that their team works, the team dynamics are good, but also we have great results. So that says something about the other nations looking to us. Uh, But the cool thing is that that doesn't necessarily translate into success when they do go to a different team because it's the whole package that makes it work and not that individual player. This is a long, long question to uh, a long answer to your big question. And I was going to try to keep it short, but uh, it's so complex that you can't keep it short because we're talking about human beings and human beings are really complicated, basically. And it's a great idea is a good thing. A great uh, talent in sport is a good thing. A great pair of skis to take you down that course is a good thing, but it all comes down to human performance and team performance. And that is really complex and they're hard to just, you know, take a couple of key uh, learnings out of them and say, you can apply this everywhere. It basically comes down to the people that are part of that team every single day. It's in many ways, I think the same, no matter where you are. I think people want to be inspired and they want to have a vision that is something bigger than we want to be more successful than the other companies in our sector cool, that's a nice vision, but you want to have you know something more than that. So you want to really work for something that you feel is important. And making the biggest shareholder even richer might not be the drive that you're looking for. So if you're working towards a vision that's more important than that, um, that's really cool. But it doesn't help unless you have inspiring leadership, people that make everyone in that company, even if it's you know four-person team or a 40,000-person team. I mean, everyone should feel included and in being an important part of the company or team or Political climate movements moving towards that uh, bigger, bigger vision. I mean, this we could talk about this probably for. Uh, so we, yeah, let's <laughs> no, break it down. No, some I find it
0: really interesting that you that you also talk about thinking big and having that big vision. Yeah. And I guess a person that would come to my mind if we were to translate this into technology, I would think about. Elon Musk, mm-hmm. in terms of painting a big vision and getting a lot of people inspired and wanting to work for him to reach that common goal that is way bigger than ourselves. And I know that you do that also with. With everything that you've done post-skiing, uh, your clothing brand is called Greater Than A.
1: Mm-hmm. I
0: believe you have a book coming out that's called Greater Than Me or something.
1: Yeah, something. I mean, it's a working title, but um, I didn't really want to write a book, to be honest. I was a little skeptical because I uh, have not read that many biographies by any athletes that I've that I think have been really good, to be honest. Fair enough. No, but <laughs> <Fair> there have <enough. laughs> no, been a little bit, I mean, now we live in the world of internet and Google. And, you know, if I want to know all these things, I could just Wikipedia or I could Google the different uh, news articles. When I read a book, I want it to be inspiring. I want it to be about something more than, you know, and then I want this and then I want that. And then, you know, this happened and that happened. It's I want something more than that. And I think um, other biographies have just been better, to be honest. They yeah. take you through the history, but they also teach you something more, I feel. And I don't think there's a lot of sports to be able to do that and maybe it's just i don't know the nature of sports is that it's just you know he was fastest so he won and he was second mm-hmm. and it's, it's that easy and there's not much more to it but i hope that there can be something more to it
0: and as we've just heard that you laid out there is a lot more to it and and the final question i'm going to ask you yeah. uh, what's uh, what's what we're going to be uh, lucky to read in your book that we're very happy that will be coming out um but i want to dive into risk Um, Because when you're flying 120 kilometers an hour down the ski slopes and you don't know whether or not you'll be able to make the next turn, that Mm. is serious risk. But you take it Mm. and you go for it. You don't know if you'll succeed. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you don't. But then you get back up. Mm. First, what goes through your mind in these situations? I mean, it's just fascinating to me. And how are you able to keep calm and power through
1: so in the race you obviously need uh, you want to be fast it's a competition i'm competitive i'm prepared for this this is my chance to you know really try to grab that win you want you need to want it and you need to take some risk because without risk uh, you're not going to push it far enough you're not going to have enough speed so i can't fool myself i need to be honest about the fact that i'm actually willing to take that risk for instance i've crashed serious i've had big crashes a few times but they've always been when i'm at like a peak in my career. So basically, it's risk reward. If I'm skiing really, really well, and I know like taking a little bit of extra risk here is gonna pay off because uh, if I get away with it, I am gonna win this race. Uh, or I mean, it sounds horrible. I'm like I'm likely to win this race, uh, at least you know in the top three. But if I'm not skiing as well, and I know that uh, taking this risk could give me a top six or a top ten, or whatever the reward is not that good but the risk is the same so i have a hard time taking that risk because the ratio just does not make a lot of sense to me but when i know i can win if i do it i um, i'll take that risk every single day and then it just that's why i always crash the hardest too when i'm i've had two really big crashes i've had the couple but two that's been you know, been really big and they have both been when i've had uh, i'm coming off like back-to-back victories
0: and, and why is that, do you think?
1: Because I just, I take that extra risk because I know that it will pay off. I mean, either I will crash, which you don't do very often. If you think about that, I've been doing this for 15 years, you know, a lot of runs through the winter. And I've had, I mean, I had more than those two, but uh, let's say I've had five really big crashes in races over i mean in downhill of course i had more in the technical events too but in downhill that's not that many crashes over those uh years but the problem with them is that you're out for a year or so so i mean they do have a big um, consequence the crazy thing about it is that there's two elements to this actually the first element is kind of uh um, crazy because you even though you know you're going to take the risk and you're prepared for it and you're absolutely cool with it you're so used to being a little bit out of control over and over like because you have this you know plan A, how everything is going to play out perfectly, it never does. But you always manage to get back into it somehow. Maybe let's say you're biking or you're driving your car and all of a sudden you come around a corner and this kid jumps into the street and you like, step on the brakes and you um, hopefully won't hit the kid and everything will be okay but you still have that adrenaline and like your heart racing right after because you know this was not good and in downhill you have that not constantly but you have a lot of it going down the hill because there's always these um, situations where you are a little bit out of control but you always get back into control so they're only they last for you know like hundreds of a second half a second maybe one or two seconds if you're really out of control but you always get back into control and you keep the momentum you keep the speed and you're so used to that so when you get into these situations where there is no coming back you are going to have a big crash each time you are really surprised because you're so used to being able to get back into it that when you're all of a sudden when you realize there's no coming back from this the first thought is like are you kidding me is this is this really happening and then you have that element of surprise and then the next five seconds you're more like you know okay crawl up into a ball and like just hope for the best then there's not much you can do, to be honest. So that's the first part. The other part that I talked about that's a little bit surprising is that when you then later, like, you're in, like, the security fencing or whatever, and, you know, something is not, um, you feel that you're hurt or, you know, something's not perfect, you're never mad at the situation or, you're like, you're, you always accept the fate because that's kind of the deal you make with yourself at the start gate. If you've convinced yourself that it's worth the risk and I'm willing to take it, then you're not allowed to you know have like an outburst where you call out like ah oh, shitty conditions like that was like it's a part of the game and you know it's worked out for you a lot of times this time it didn't work out this is the fact take it you know go to hospital and hopefully it won't be like too bad so it's, it's the thing is so honest it's the thing that i like about downhill skiing is that uh, we all know the risk whenever we're at the start but we take the risk we accept the risk and unless someone made a horrible mistake that you know cost you a big injury it basically was your fault because uh, these were the conditions that were there and you took it too far and then now you're got wiped out and you're gonna need surgery or you're gonna like whatever so then then you're cool with that it's like that's all right like that's what i signed up for so it's this cool <laughs> thing about uh, the sport where we even like sometimes i've been races where a lot of guys have crashed and we like meet up at the hospital basically and it's like actually a good atmosphere like everyone is like this is a part of the game Let's make the best out of it.
0: I mean, this is this is skiing. This is life and death. It's like I'm listening to you, and I'm like, oh my god! How, the... does this, how do you? How are you able to 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 expose yourself to this kind of risk so often? But as you the,
1: let's take one step back because you said um, life and death. Yeah. And That's then it's too far.
0: But isn't it? No, though?
1: but it's it is uh, that's the problem. It's something that uh, should never happen, but uh, sadly, it happens sometimes. But it's so rare and it's it shouldn't be a part of the sport so at least for me personally I don't allow it to be a part of my uh, analysis risk assessment exactly because <laughs> it, that's that then actually the sport makes no sense anymore and it's like it shouldn't be taken into the equation that it's a life-death uh, thing so um maybe I just like you know turn a bl- blind eye on that fact but I just I don't want to put that into my r- risk assessment because then all of a sudden the equation just makes no sense.
0: Oh, God. Okay. Well, related but completely different. If you ask any business leader today, albeit not on a uh, physical, but on a psychological level, mm-hmm. they do feel a lot of risk. Yeah. Ask anyone. The world is changing faster than ever, and they need to act in order to survive. But then no one can truly predict the future, and they might fail. Mm-hmm. Knowing what you know about risk. Mm-hmm. If there was a conference with a lot of business leaders, or maybe you're just in a, in a room with another leader that you trust, yeah. what would you tell that person?
1: And when there's like real risk, which is, you know, what you just talked about earlier, life and death, that's real risk. Or, you know, an injury so bad that you won't be able to live your rest, rest of your life normal. That is a real risk. Maybe, you know, having one project in your business not work out the way you wanted to and you might have to, you know, there's some setbacks and you have to start over. And that's also a real risk. But I feel like it's a little bit of a different risk because no one is going to be successful all the time and there'll be you know, setbacks, there'll always be setbacks, but it's, uh, I feel like that's a different risk than um, yeah, your health, basically. But the approach can still be the same, but I think it's important uh, as a rule to know that it's a little bit of a difference. But what is also a little bit of a difference, but in a way where the business leader should feel more of the risk is that, so I'm making the decisions, and I'm also the one exposed to the risk when I ski race. But if you're a leader of a company, you are making decisions, but it's maybe other people's jobs and futures that are more exposed to risk than you are yourself. That's a different, uh, total different game because I respect those uh, leaders a lot. That I mean, I don't respect them if they have no, um, if they don't feel that element at all. But if you have empathy uh, and if you are a good leader, you probably do. You should. But you're still able to make those decisions that you have to make. Uh, and you're considering, you know, the people that are going to be exposed to whatever your decisions you make. So you're able to consider them in a human way, but still make the decision and follow through because that's a tough decision. Um, I mean, I've been on the board of companies where we have investors and things are going good, but maybe not as good as we hoped or that we, you know, our business plan that we raised the last round on or stuff like this even that's investors and they i mean if they invest in early stage tech startups they should know that this is a game where you know this is not your life savings on this one company because the risk is going to be way too high so they that should be coming out of a wallet where they could potentially lose that investment but still that responsibility of um, yeah, also uh, having other people invested in you. That I really I, I feel that one. That's a huge responsibility. And then if you're a business leader and it's just people's jobs at risk, that's that that's a tough situation. And I think for me that would be the part of uh, let's say leadership that I would struggle a lot with. Uh, the um, you know what keeps you up at night, mm. like you know you're trying to sleep at night and you know that uh, tomorrow have to let a few people go because this is not working. That's that's not nice. That's, um, I'm I would struggle, and actually I've been a little bit in those situations where I'm not the direct, but I at least am a part of the group that has to make that decision, mm-hmm. and it's a tough one. The worst thing you can do is to never make a decision, because if you never make a decision, it's you have to focus if you want to be good at something. The world is not uh, you can have everything doesn't exist really. It's ulle uh, brum in uh, Norwegian. It's like uh, basically. Focusing, say, it's saying that like I'm going to focus on this, but what you can't forget is that then I'm going to lose focus on this because there's no such thing as focusing on everything because focus by definition means that uh, your sight is a little more narrow and then what's not in your sight is going to fall out of focus. So focusing means choosing something, but you also choose to let something go. And the worst thing you can do, I think, is to never make those decisions and thinking that you're going to focus on everything because that is not possible. So you have to make some tough decisions. But again, I think a lot of those decisions are hard. I really respect leaders that uh, are able to make those decisions and still do it in a way where they do consider the people working for them. But also, of course, the bigger picture, which is here, I mean, or not the bigger, but even more long term picture, Mm. which is the survival of this company in the fast changing world because you do have to make some tough decisions when everything around you is changing because the game is not the same as it was 10 years ago or even 10 months ago maybe so a lot of um, change means a lot of tough decisions but it also means a lot of possibilities for good leaders I think because one thing is making the right decision but another thing is making a decision and having the people that you lead actually believing in that decision you mentioned Elon Musk earlier. He's really visionary, and uh, he's not afraid to, you know, say something that people want to believe in. I mean, one guy that I have met uh, multiple times, and it's uh, a guy that surprised me over and over again, is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's like, you know, bodybuilder, Terminator, Hollywood guy that could, you know, barely speak English, even though he lived in the U.S. for a long, long time, and he still had, like, his Austrian accent. But he is such an inspiring character. Like, I have no problem seeing him as a great governor of California because he doesn't have a lot. So when you say something, if you're, like, political smart, you say it in a way so no one can really, like, hold you to your words after because there's always some, you you know, some... Leeway. Exactly. But he's not afraid to say something that's like, boom, this is the way it is. He has, like, an energy that you actually, you want to believe in and you want to follow him. So, and I think that's what a great leader... Needs to have he needs to say things that are accountable so he you know you can hold him to his words later and needs to be inspiring so people want to help him actually reach those crazy goals and I think that's where Elon Musk also is really cool I mean you want to believe in him of course he's not the smartest in the world at everything he needs to do but if he's able to inspiring inspire really smart people to help him reach his vision then that's you know maybe the most important job that he has as a leader is to make those really smart people work hard with him to reach those goals.
0: Yeah, and hopefully those visions are creating a better world, which they are in many of the cases. But I want to dive into your tech investments because uh, you were talking about focus, and I know that that's a uh, recent, or it's been a focus uh, of yours for a while now, um, because you've done many investments uh, in addition to uh, Spond, and you've been very successful in them, at least that's what I read. Uh, and I, but I wonder, um, what's know. what's the secret? I mean, what do you consider when you invest in a business? What factors need to be present in uh, Axel Lundsvindal's portfolio of companies.
1: I think the first thing I want to say is that I absolutely love entrepreneurship because it reminds me of sports. It's a brutal world where it's not like this is not somewhere you go and you work nine to four and then you know it's out of your head. It needs to be a 24-hour focus, uh, and you need to live and breathe the company you want to make successful and it's just like an athlete it's the founder it's the worst for him if it fails and if it's, it's the best for him if it succeeds so he or she needs to work super hard but it's also extremely rewarding if it works out but also extremely disappointing if it doesn't work out so it reminds me of sports and it's kind of binary because it's not i mean it can be like okay but a lot of situations it's like either this works or it doesn't work which gives me energy it's a competition we want to make this work so i think that's how it started is that i actually never had like a management i always did my own negotiations and contracts and because i didn't go to school because i was doing all this uh skiing stuff and i figured i need to learn something so why not uh and i learn a lot better if i have skin in the game Mm. yeah dealing your own contract that's a lot of skin in the game because you you feel it hard if you sign a bad contract uh so and then you know that and then you make some money on these contracts and you start invest this money and then you know i did the normal thing like funds and Mm -hmm. that was okay i guess but then i started investing in some smaller companies where i could actually go and visit the headquarters and there were like 40 people and and then it comes down to again the people and i feel like i knew this already but uh, more and more over the time that i have uh, done investments i also look back and i because you said there's been a lot of successful ones but i actually invested in a lot of companies for a while so there's companies that uh, no one's heard about for good reason where i've (laughs) where i've lost some money but The good thing is that um, a good company uh, has momentum and uh, usually needs follow-up investments. And hopefully you have, uh, you kept some money aside for that as well. So over time, the um, amounts you invested in the successful companies, they get a lot bigger than your initial investment in a company that you then backed out of because you didn't believe in the team more. And over and over again, it's the team. If it's a great team, it's unbelievable where they can end up compared to where the first business model was.
0: Yeah, and I, mean. I guess I'm asking that question with a little bit of bias because I recently came back from a pitch for several hundred investors in Stockholm for a newly launched company, qualitytech.it. And my experience from all these investor meetings is that they – Or some of them at least seem like a special breed, and I'm just getting my hands dirty in this world. But with all your experience with startups, what's your advice to to us?
1: Well, the thing is, I uh, compared to people with a lot of startup uh, experience, I don't have that much experience. But I guess my experience comes from I'm not your typical investor either, so it's maybe you know I can I look at it slightly differently and. Um, I mean team 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 is I would it's like real estate you I know mean, mm-hmm. it's like you know location location <laughs> look loc- which yeah I, I would say it's almost the same and that and that's like you know the team and I would say they're everything from their values i mean I want because hopefully if this either if it you hit some bumps in the road or if it's really successful and you're a good board member or you, you know you have things you can contribute with you should spend a lot of time with these people and then if they have good values, that helps a lot. Um, I have one friend of mine who has more experience than I have, and I really, I mean, I like to listen to him because I feel he has a lot of good values. I once heard him say that um, you have to remember that uh, as a founder, once you take an investor on board, that's it. Because you can get married and you can get a divorce. But once you have your cap table, if you have an investor in there, and especially if it's a big investor, that you over time see that this is not a good fit for this company. How do you get that investor out of the company? Or if that investor is blocking other investors for coming in, what, how do you deal with that situation?
0: You write a good shareholder agreement, I guess. Um, yeah, but, I, so
1: there's um, so you need <laughs> as as a founder, you I mean you asked from the investors' point of view, but as a founder, I think you also really need to be picky about what investors do you want, uh, okay. because nothing goes exactly plan uh, after plan A. I mean, there's going to be a plan B, C. At least you're going to go through the whole alphabet probably. Yeah. Then you're going to need help. From other people there, because when I say team, 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 I mean I see I say extended team. I see, you know the boardroom, the investors on board, the whole. Because I don't know a lot about technology, I just know that I think it's really exciting because uh, it attracts the most competitive people. I feel I feel like I meet people there that have a completely different skill set than an athlete would have, but they have a similar mindset. I mean, they might be software architects and they maybe don't even like sunlight for what I I know because they do spend a lot of time inside, but their mindset is awesome. They just, they want to work on this until it, you know, they just work really hard and they want to make it awesome. And I think that's the coolest thing that you can have that you can share that mindset, even though you come from completely different backgrounds. So team, 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 team. But of course, there's like other, you know, have a checklist. Like, are there a lot of third party risk here? Like, do you need the the politicians to make some new regulations or, you know, get rid of some regulations for this to be possible? Hmm. That's risks. That's really hard to assess you know politics is i'm not a game yeah yeah it's a it's a game where two plus two is not necessarily four Mm. and how do you if everyone just goes around and say no that's five and that's the way it's gonna stay (laughs) that's not my world i can't deal with that so i want to try to stay away from politics and of course there are some like mega trends that uh, hopefully you can follow a mega trend but uh, at least you shouldn't go against one i mean if you're investing in something that uh, everyone is trying to get over if you're let's say in the paper industry you know like you have to be a game changer in the paper industry if you are going to just now start selling newspapers printed on paper. It needs to be an amazing business plan and something else that you bring to the table if you are going to go down that path, for instance. But these are all secondary. The first thing is just team, 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 team. And then I say extended team, like also boardroom investors. Yeah.
0: Mm. So uh, talking about trends, megatrends, I want to dive briefly into sustainability Mm because when I met you at the charity event for Right to Play where you're an ambassador last week and I pitched you the podcast, um, you told me that you do have a lot of thoughts about sustainability and you recently launched a clothing brand greater than a which we mentioned Mm -hmm. in which sustainability and recycling of materials has been at the core of your business model and you also told me that you had some personal reflections and advice for people and businesses in general uh regarding how to live sustainably and think sustainability as a cornerstone of their business model and you said that it's the sum of many small things which i think is entirely true Do you mind telling us shortly, briefly, because I know we're running out of time, the reasoning Uh, around this conclusion?
1: Well, just, uh, I mean, you asked about technology. And like I said, I don't really know much about technology, but I think it's awesome. Um, I don't know that much about sustainability, but I just know it's something we, we need to focus on treating this planet better than what we do right now. Deep down, especially, we are lucky to live in this part of the world where we have the financial freedom to think about something else than just our basic needs which you know shelter food water yeah we have in norway we have the freedom to make some choices uh, during our day and deep down i think we want to make good choices i think when you make a choice that's better for the environment or you know if it's um, better for the animal welfare or if it's better for the workers that you know made this product for you if it was in this country or a country far far away I think when you make those choices I think deep down that's what we want to do so I just want us to have good choices available throughout our day in everything we do and I do think that you can make it a habit for people to they pay a little bit of a higher price for something that they know in the beginning in the beginning but I think maybe we should pay a higher uh, price forever because When you do go to one of the fast fashion retailers and you buy that T-shirt for, I don't know, 69 kroner or whatever. If you start thinking about what that T-shirt, how did that T-shirt end up on your body, that whole process. Mm -hmm. And you break it down into, you know, growing the cotton and like, you know, spinning it, uh, making yarn out of it and making the shirt and shipping it here. And then they're having it in the retailer, paying rent there person that you met when you bought it uh, the salary the, uh, how the hell is 69 kroner going to cover all that if everyone gets a good deal
0: yeah exactly so, so my point of in the beginning is more that when demand for that raises for more sustainably produced yeah. products in, yeah. in general. And services. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, they start streamlining the way that they do it and they start using new technologies that in turn just yeah. become cheaper. So yeah. they so it will, cheaper.
1: I mean, the price will go down, but I think we also have gotten used to consuming at a price that is not uh, sustainable. Yeah. So we need to be open to paying a higher price for airplane tickets, for, you know, the clothing we wear, for the meat we eat, especially maybe. So we need to be prepared to pay a higher price, but the price should go down I mean, the gap now is too big. But I think the problem is more on the low side that uh, the products are too cheap more than the good choices being too expensive. Mm. Because the environmental footprint of um, eating a kilo of beef from Argentina when you're sitting in Oslo.
0: It's like, uh, it's the equivalent in terms of water. It's about six months of showering for one person.
1: So then if you buy a vegetarian dish at a restaurant or, you know, beef flown in from Argentina or whatever, there should be a price difference.
0: Exactly. Um, but then, and, and and that's what you were saying, the the, the sum of all the small things. Yeah. Uh, in, in general, people yeah. are like, oh, well, it's just this one time, whatever. Exactly. But, but then it no, and accumulates. And it accumulates
1: and we can't expect people to change their lives completely because that's not going to work. And also there's, you know, other things to consider. Uh, even the planet is the biggest thing we have. There is right there and then there's other things to consider. I mean, you can't just take your kids out of school and move into the woods and it's not. that's not going to work. But if we throughout the day can make slightly better choices every time we can you know pick up a service or a product then you know you're going to drive the whole industry into getting better like that because that's consumer power they're going to get a lot more business i mean we just need systems products services where you can make slightly bigger better choices and i think they're addictive i think you want to make those choices you recycle at home and you go to your neighbor and he just throws everything into one big black trash can and you just like buy By heart, you're just like, this is wrong. Like, why are you doing this? I mean, it just, when you go outside, you have the possibility to separate plastic, paper, paper, food waste, and landfill. It's just because you're lazy and you don't want to do it in your kitchen. So you throw everything in the landfill, but outside of your door, you have those four possibilities and you don't use them. It just, it's wrong. So we just need to get those systems more and more and more into place. So you start spreading the good habits. That's what I believe in.
0: I would love to uh, dive further into your reflections on sustainability because it's really, really important. But Axel, we're running out of time, unfortunately. So f- three final uh, gunshot questions. Yeah. If you could give yourself one piece of advice when you were 20 years old, what would you tell you?
1: Oh, there's so much I would like to tell myself, but um, <laughs> only, one, only one. No, I would actually go back to what I've uh, talked about uh, for most of this podcast. And I was like, you know, real. The, when you meet great people, just grab a hold of them. Because uh, I have faith in people, but I also have to say the extremely cool people you meet and, you know, inspiring that are, they're also willing to share everything. I mean, and they're super open, but, and they're also, ins- and they're yeah, just like the best people I've met. They're so awesome that, you know, when you meet that kind of people, really let yourself be inspired because that's another thing. I would rather be disappointed every once in a while and be kind of naive about people than to always be, you know, negative. Mm. So I'd rather be a little bit naive and then every once in a while I'll be disappointed, but I wanna be inspired. Mm. So yeah, my advice would be seek out great people and when you do meet them, really let yourself be inspired and try to learn as much as you can.
0: Cool. Any book, podcast you would recommend?
1: Oh, plenty um one box I, one <laughs> i'm gonna recommend a book that um uh, not a lot of people have read actually because i've uh, in the past i think i recommended stuff that uh, i feel like people are oh yeah that's such a good book yeah. but now here's one that when i say this people are like what i never heard about that and it's wow. called the uh, reminiscences of a stock operator
0: oh that sounds a little bit boring <laughs> yeah but the thing is it's
1: written in like 1927 or something like that, or yeah, and okay. it's about the stockbroker in New York. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's based kind of like
0: The Wolf of Wall Street, or
1: ex- well, kind of, but not like that because this is mostly about human psychology. Okay. So it's like you know he is he's, he's a cool f- and it's actually uh, based on a true story as well. But, uh, you know, no one wanted to write a biography in 1927 because then you were like, who would do that? Like, unless you're like the emperor or whatever, right? So it's like a fake story, but it's actually based on a completely true story. So, um, and and it's about, he has the most awesome mindset because he is like super rich and then bankrupt and super, like he has a lot of ups and downs but as long as he learned a lot and he's not stripped to the bone so he has like at least a little bit of goodwill or money or something to try to like make his way back up again he has no problems with losing because he's learned something that he didn't know six months ago which means he's even better prepared for this next battle so awesome mindset and a really really cool book
0: so i'll read yours first and then i'll read his uh where should uh, our listeners go to follow you
1: Instagram is uh, probably the one I update the most, which is, is um, Asvindal, mm. Yeah. But uh, I have to say, I'm not that good at updating. Um, so I'm going to get better. I was a lot better when I was racing because there was like cool stuff going on. Mm. And now I'm just like work, I'm average guy who just working my way through the week and, you know, getting stuff done. And it's not that exciting, but I have some cool plans. So there's some cool stuff coming up soon.
0: I'm sure there will be. Axel, we have finally reached the end, but this was absolutely awesome. Thank you so much for joining the Future Forecast. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Future Forecast. Tune in next week for more exciting insights on the future. I'm your host, Isabel Ringness. Please rate the podcast on iTunes and share it with anyone you think may find it interesting. Also, if you have suggestions to who we should interview, give us a shout out on the Oslo Business Forum or Isabel Ringness Instagram. Talk to you next week.